0: Hey there, Aligned You listeners. This is Dr. M here and welcome to our Aligned and Thriving season and series of interviews. I am super pumped to be sharing a series of stories and interviews with some amazing humans. People, some who I've admired from a distance for a long period of time, others who I know personally and call dear, dear friends and feel very pri- privileged to do so. This series is designed to actually dive deeper into what allows them to truly live an aligned you and aligned you life And to be thriving whether that's in their work life their home life or their play life and working out truly is there common themes or is everyone different and we really do all reach our full potential in our own unique way enjoy this season i've had an absolute pleasure enjoy recording it now for this interview with the marvelous tom cronin which is our first episode of this series is you'll notice we don't mention COVID at all and that is because we actually recorded this interview pre-COVID. Can you believe it? There was a time pre-COVID. But what I love as I was listening back to that this particular interview with Tom is how poignant and appropriate so many of the points are, particularly his final thought, folks. Get to the end of this interview because particularly his final thought is so appropriate for right now. So I truly hope you enjoy this interview with Tom. He's a super cool guy. I'll tell you more about him once the episode kicks off. I'm your host, Dr. M, and you're listening to Aligned You, a podcast designed to assist you to truly be aligned through your body, head, and heart so you can reach your full potential in your own unique way. Hey there, Aligned you listeners, it's Dr M here, and I have a very special guest today. I've got the marvellous Tom Cronin online with me today, and I'm so excited to be able to interview Tom today. Tom spent 26 years in the finance markets as one of Sydney's leading bond and swap brokers. He discovered meditation in early stages of his career when the anxiety and chaos he was experiencing had hit a crisis point and completely transformed his world, both personally and professionally. He's the founder of the Stillness Project, a global movement to inspire 1 billion, yes, that's 1 billion people to sit in stillness daily. Tom's passionate about reducing stress and chaos in people's lives. His ongoing work is trans- in transformational leadership and cultivating inner peace through meditation, teaching, and coaching. It takes him all around the world hosting retreats, mentoring, presenting keynotes, talks, teaching, and he's created the portal, the film and book experience, all part of of his commitment to the current planetary shift. I'm super excited to have Tom on with me today. Tom, thanks so much for spending some time together. I'm looking forward to diving deeper into
1: what helps you stay aligned. it's great to be here. Thanks so much. Um, It's always an honor to be able to share my story and obviously connecting with you as well and your listeners.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Tom. Now, Tom, part of the premise of this interview series that we're doing across our first season is really to dive deeper with some really cool humans or people I think is think are cool, and and I know lots of other people do too, about the shifts that you went through within your career and within your life that really helped highlight uh, what it was that you needed to perhaps shift. To actually come into being aligned. What was was it that went from a career in finance to doing what it is that you're doing now? I'd love you to be able to share with the listeners a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, our journeys that we take in life and how we can be sort of in this sort of natural sort of just by default going along, plotting along a path, but not realising until you look back and go, oh my goodness, how could I have been so off orbit from what was my natural alignment. And, you know, one of the things that I think really helps us realign is a deep sense of discomfort or pain or suffering and they're remarkable devices given, given to us by the universe to to align us, I think, in some way. So you know, for me, interestingly, you know, I take the path now, which is just the natural and joyful experience of teaching, coaching, running retreats, um, you know, taking people through transformation And then I look at my numerology, which says that, you know, my dharma, my life purpose when I'm in my sweet spot is to be a spiritual teacher. So it's like, wow, well, that sort of fits, the glove fits. But when I was a broker, there was a a strong misalignment and what inspired me to be a broker was not that I just feel like this is such a most powerful, beautiful, passionate job that I'm in. It was just that I made a ton of money (laughs) and uh, that was you know, a very viable option for quite a long period of time. You know, I had family and lived in Sydney and had mortgages and stuff like that. So it definitely served a purpose for a period of time, but it wasn't enough. And deep down for a long, long time, I knew it wasn't enough. I knew it wasn't what I was here to do. And there was this sort of ongoing gnawing ache, you know, even after I went through a bit of a meltdown and learned to meditate and I meditated and had my spiritual practice for 16 years while I was a broker but that only really highlighted and accentuated over time this deep feeling inside that there was a greater possibility for me there was greater potential and um and it was just took me a long time to have the courage to step away from that security of a multiple multiple six-figure salary um and into that unknown of coaching and teaching so um, it's going to be different for everyone but I think the common factor is this sort of a deep intuition and a heart truth that lies within us about what we have as a skill set what we have as our dharma our life purpose to fulfill and how can we do that on a, either commercial basis that allows us to do it full-time or on a part-time basis that is something that is just needs to be expressed within us.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love that you actually were practicing your meditation practice while still in in finance. Um, how much did your colleagues think you were a hippie and a, a crazy out there kind of guy while you were doing that? Or was it
1: accepted? Or was it something that you actually kept private? Uh, look, it definitely was a challenge early on. I definitely kept it private. Uh, you know, it was a very... Masculine alpha male domain, the trading room floor, a lot of chest beating and bravado and um, tough guy, and you know I I was part of that as well. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know to to uh, this was back in sort of early '90s, mid '90s, and you know we didn't have headspace and calm apps. We didn't have you know mindful leadership programs by Google. You know meditation was very unheard of back then. So um, I did keep it quiet, and even then, you know it started to seep out a little bit. You know we'd go away for weekends, work weekends, and the premise of most of those work weekends, um, which was all built around the idea of team bonding was to get completely wasted from quite early in the morning, um, playing golf and then going off to the pub and watching the horse racing and gambling all afternoon and then going into the evening. And, you know, it it really became more and more of an alien sort of idea, something that wasn't, um, that very charming for me. So, you know, I, it was very difficult to integrate my practice and, my lifestyle into that world and got harder and harder, the more committed and dedicated I got to my, my sort of journey into spirituality and, and mindfulness. So um, over time that did start to become an issue, <clears throat> that point of difference. And when we create a point of difference in a relationship, you know, you you're creating divide, you're creating disconnect and disunity. And um, it was nothing wrong with the guys. They're all amazing guys. and still our top blokes. Uh, it was just that I'd created, this point of separation, which always makes it a little bit harder for a relationship, and, um, you know, I just had to navigate my way through that, and I was definitely a bit of an odd one in that environment.
0: I I can imagine that you would have been, and particularly the more that your potentially the energy was getting split as well. Were you finding it exhausting having to wear two hats while you were having to do that, or were you finding it quite easy to transition? Because I'm interested in asking that that question, because I know even within – um, in my space as my hands-on work with, as a chiropractor, which some of the more spiritual work that um, I'm into now is I, I went through a period where I really wasn't discussing it with my clients all that much um, because I wasn't sure how they would accept it or whether they would whether they would think it was a bit too out there for what it was that they they were in the practice for, if that makes sense. So, But the, the more that I actually kept quiet about it, the more I actually felt my energy splitting and the more exhausted I was actually getting versus being in that complete alignment and being aligned to my true self as you're talking about
1: yeah it's in the early days until i learned the art of this it was it was exhausting and it was very very challenging to um just to let all that go and just slip into being broker mode but over time i I learned this vedic concept called leisha vidya vidya in sanskrit is knowledge and we negate a word in sanskrit by putting an a in front of it so to negate uh knowledge uh you put A vidya, A A in front of vidya. And what that means is ignorance. And leish is on a which means it sort of sounds like it is leish and it means faint. So a faint level of ignorance needs to be embraced. And what that means is to consciously surrender um, some of your knowledge or way of living um, to enable and support and embellish a relationship. Mm. And so that was something that I I started to learn more artfully um, over time and that helped me integrate a little bit better it's like an act of doing role-playing I guess you know they know they're role-playing and that's the difference Mm. so that definitely helped things along the way but over time I just did just notice the discomfort that was arising not so much in the relationships just in what I'm here to do and my my relevance and my greater capacity that was being unused and so the universe um will you know I remember one morning going to work and I was literally still recall pushing the button in the elevator and I've been working on that same floor for so long. It was 27th floor of Castle Ray Street, Nine Castle Ray Street. And I remember pushing the button and having this sort of sense of dread about going up in that lift. And I remember saying to myself, look, Tom, this can actually only get more uncomfortable until you decide to leave. And the reason why it has to be uncomfortable is because if it wasn't uncomfortable, I wouldn't leave.
0: Mm.
1: And so the discomfort, even though I Felt it. I knew it would get worse until I eventually said, that's it. I can't do it anymore. I know I have to go now. And so that's literally what happened eventually got to the point where, um, you know, thankfully we have this thing called discomfort that guided me to taking another choice
0: and was there a particular moment in that journey of discomfort that it was was a, a crisis point or a tipping point that got you over the edge? Because you sat with it for a while, right? You stayed in finance for a little while through
1: that uh, through that period. Was there a particular moment that you went, that was it? Yeah, it, it, it was hard to walk away from. You know, we, we had, the longer I was in that job, the easier it got. You know, I had long-term clients that, you know, just were really good, become friends almost. So, it didn't require that immense level of marketing and Um, there was a consistency and stability there and you know I could have probably have another 25 years in that career and would never really be challenged or questioned it was quite a stable job um, being in the bond market and so um, it it wasn't necessarily an immediate thing it was just a slow gradual gnawing away and you know the hardest thing to walk away from is that security of financials Mm -hmm. you know security you know when you've got a family so um to walk away from that and walk into a very unstable financial world was very challenging and and that overweighed um or overshadowed the the discomfort and you know deep I think it was Tim Ferriss said we would much rather have unhappiness than uncertainty Mm. (laughs) and uh that's kind of summed it up for me I I was very uh welcoming of the unhappiness to um to you know embrace that rather than the uncertainty of not knowing what was on the other side but eventually um it just got so great that i just decided that um i you know it was strategic i'd worked on a strategy to be able to enable me to leave so that i could at least have some sort of structure and um a business model that would hopefully support um a shift that um you know would sustain itself financially
0: Beautiful. And I think that's um, something I'd love to touch on a little with you is that um, some people think that when you're on a spiritual journey, it also means you need to have a financial hardship with it, which um, I certainly don't believe that to be true. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I can think that they can be mutually inclusive. Um, And I love that you touched on that you had a strategy because sometimes people may be listening to some of these interviews and thinking, oh, that's all well and good. Um, You had backing behind you. You could jump off into this spiritual world um, and not be worried about your finances. Um, Do you see them, I'll ask you a question, versus actually assuming is do you see them being mutually exclusive or can they be inclusive?
1: No, I do a lot of coaching with people in the healing, transformational, spiritual space because one thing that I see a lot of us including me myself as well mm. is exactly that there is a deep conditioning and programming that we can't have both a spiritual practice and spiritual or healing or you know personal development sort of um career and have affluence and that's something that we really need to you know uh get our heads out of that sort of frame of mind because it really holds us back because what i find with a lot of the people that i work with is that they start out with that sort of dogma and that mentality Uh, as one actually I'm working with at the moment who has yoga studio went bankrupt. And you can see there's a deep sort of coding in there that says I shouldn't have affluence. I shouldn't have success. I shouldn't have abundance. I shouldn't drive around a nice car if I'm a yoga teacher. Um, And of course that um, coding ends up manifesting in our lives with poverty. And then we haven't go back and getting a shitty job because we can't do what we're passionate about and what we're good at and what we're here to do. And so we definitely need good business models built around what we do and we can create affluence around that and we should be able to create affluence. You know, it's interesting how society is so willing to pay a fortune for a plumber or a chiropractor or a stockbroker or a travel agent or whatever else it is, but um, there's still uh, for someone that is willing to elevate and shapeshift their neural pathways and make their life a whole lot better you know there's we're still reluctance to sort of making a financial exchange or a viable financial exchange for that Mm. and that's on both sides of the fence that's the user and the and the um and the provider so we need to just completely work at changing that sort of mindset around all of that.
0: Absolutely. Well, I know that particularly when I was in my early career, um, even as a chiropractor, when people do have to pay for their for their care is that I, I had been conditioned that I needed to look after everybody, even if they couldn't afford it. So I used to give away a lot of care to the point of I could barely pay my bills early on, which was crazy. I had a master's degree, was a health primary healthcare practitioner and was barely paying my bills because I was giving so much away out of exchange and I think that that's something that's really important when we're talking about being aligned is that we're in fair energetic exchange and and as far as money's concerned that's certainly how I look at it now is it is an energetic exchange of something that I can help people if I'm serving somebody there needs to be that that fair exchange as well and it's not then uh it then doesn't take away from the fact that I live my life in spirit and also in line and aligned with um, what it is that I feel like I've been put on the planet to do, which I think is, is a really important point for people to to understand. Um, and whether it's a yoga studio, uh, studio or it's other people that are working with helping people up level, it's really hard to help people if you can't pay your bills and you're not eating properly, right?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it, it's not good on on many levels, energetically, physiologically um you know it just doesn't work very well you know we do pro bono stuff we definitely um my company supports people that just haven't got that capacity to um you know access some of the things that we provide um so very often we'll provide pro bono work but um you know that's enabling we're enabled to do that to to do that because we've got a financial model that supports that so those people that can afford to pay for things that are improving their life paid for it. And we do that, like I said before, on every other level in our world. And there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing it in the healing sort of modalities as well. I
0: love love that. I love that a lot. Um, I'd love to spend some time with you, Tom, talking about what it is that you do day to day that actually helps you With your stillness, obviously, meditation is a big part of that. But, you know, are you a believer that you need to be up in the fours? Are you a believer that you need to be up in the threes? Do you sleep in? What's your, what's a normal day for, for Tom Cronin look like? Because it's an area that I'd love through this interview series. And the, and as I said, one of the purposes is, is talking to a lot of cool people and figure out what are the common themes. Um, so I'd love to know what a day in a life looks like for you. That's, that's a perfect day by design, if you like.
1: (laughs) There's, there's what I, there's utopia and then there's what actually happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's what I recommend to people and what <laughs> I end up doing. Um, look, I've got my ideal day would be in bed at 9 o'clock and reading till 9.30 and lights out and going to sleep and waking up at 4.35 um, o'clock. But I've got two 17-year-olds and a partner and all three of them a bit of night owls. You know, my two kids work at um, Kmart of all places and, um, you know, I, I very happily willingly surrender my sleep pattern to go and pick them up because I really enjoy that time with them, you know, picking them up at 10 o'clock at night. You know, they're working till 10 o'clock at night, which is a bit unfortunate, but that's the shift they get quite often. And so last night, you know, when I picked my daughter up and um, partly because I want to see her arrive home safely at that time of night, but also because there's something, I don't know, just about caring and supporting and it's my time with them. It's my expression of love for them. So, You know, don't don't get home till ten thirty. You know, you are better sleep by eleven. So it's definitely not the routine that I would prefer. And that sort of leads me to getting up. Still, my body wakes generally when the sun's rising. It's just part of the the being in tune with natural law. And so I tend to wake quite early, which is, you know, it's enough for me to get through the day. So I'll meditate uh, quite early, do some yoga, meditate. Um, I like to go for a bit of a a. 5am club sort of pattern of, um, of routine. So I like to do some movement quite early in the morning, like as soon as I get up. So I'll go for a run, Mm -hmm. 20 minutes, run 20 minutes, read 20 minutes of journaling. And then 20 minutes of meditation. It'd be my ideal start to the day. Yeah. And that usually takes, um, just over an hour, um, to sort of complete, but I really find that that's a very powerful foundation for my day. I do like to take a nap. So I'll work through the day, um, generally coaching clients and then catching up with my team and checking in where everything's at and then do a bit of marketing and social media. Um, and i will generally have a nap. I like to sort of take a 20 minute nap through the day uh, around two or three o'clock. And then I'll do some gym work. I generally do three gym sessions, three or four gym sessions a week. Uh, three sort of yoga classes a week and then I like to do three saunas at icebergs a week as well so that's the sort of purification the sweating. sweating um, and that's kind of like a routine that kind of keeps me feeling pretty tip-top shape I must admit.
0: I love that uh, are the threes of everything on purpose or is that because it's easy to remember?
1: Oh, just kind of the way I fit it in the week. No, I don't know why <laughs> it seems to work out that way. Seem <laughs> seemed to be a system there. I just wanted to yeah. know whether it was a conscious system or not. No, it just seems to work out that way. It's just the amount of time I can fit it all in, I reckon.
0: I love it, um, and you also do a fair bit of traveling for speaking and also, and we're going to talk about your movie uh, and the book in just a moment, but you do a fair amount of traveling. How good are you at keeping this routine up while you're actually on the road and time differences and jet lag? Do you find that this helps? Does it ever get off track if it does get off track? what throws it off track, and what gets it back on?
1: yeah, you know you've got to be pretty malleable and flexible you know if I can't get to do the the routine you know I, I'm very mindful of just whatever i've got as far as whether I'm in ubers or whether I'm flying whether I'm in a you know um, you know a lounge at the airport you know I'm just conscious of my mind and my body and being aware of that I do take a lot of supplements I'm a very big fan of supplementing with herbs and lots of multivitamins and topping up my body and supplementing my body with as much as it needs to get it through those times drinking lots and lots of fluids And then, of course, meditating a lot, you know, on planes, in waiting rooms, in Ubers, and just checking in that I'm de exciting my nervous system and my physiology and calming my mind and accessing that deep restfulness that comes through the meditation practice so that it can, you know, generally I keep my practice going wherever I can and um, just being adaptable. If it just doesn't happen that day, then that's okay.
0: Yeah. And allowing yourself to be human within that, right?
1: Yeah, totally, yeah.
0: If somebody had never meditated before, because people that are listening to Align You probably have given it a go, but whether they're doing it consistently, most people probably are, but there might be some new listeners that perhaps are not, what would be your first step for somebody who has never or or is actually even scared or timid about the thought of meditating? What would you suggest their first step
1: be? No. most people would suggest start with an app or start with YouTube and start with free meditations, but it's not actually my recommendation. Mm -hmm. I think if you're going to go and learn to meditate, and this is not because I'm a meditation teacher, but because this is the way I learned and I know that I tried all the other techniques and it just wasn't going to happen. It was to start with a proper training with a teacher that's qualified and do it properly, you know, go for the Rolls Royce and, Learn a technique, and it does require a little bit of shopping around, finding the teacher that you resonate with, finding the technique that you resonate with. There's two variables there, the techniques and the teachers. Now, there's a multitude of different meditation techniques. Do your research, have a look around. Now, I chose Transcendental Meditation or Vedic Meditation after doing my research because A, it was supported by a lot of science. B, it had a very formalized training process over four, one and a half hour sessions. And C, it um in the introductory talk it proposed this idea of transcendence that is to go beyond the thinking process which not very many meditation techniques actually suggest that you're going to get to that state and and what i found very quickly through that practice was that i could access that state and that was really important to me on two levels one is that the profound levels of physiological rest that i achieved when my mind was still was phenomenal it was so powerful and that's what really ultimately cured me of a lot of the stress response that was happening in my body, but secondly, it allowed me to access a state of mind that was me beyond the thinking, me beyond the conditioning, me beyond the desires and the narcissism and the egoic tendencies and the aches and the lacks and the hunger for more. Uh, It was just the most liberating thing. So I'd recommend finding a teacher in your environment, look them up on Google or Back in my day, it was the yellow pages, but finding someone that you can, yeah, old (laughs) school, finding someone that can teach you in a workshop in person. There's nothing more powerful than learning from a teacher in person. And if you can't afford that or you can't access that because of your locality, then um, obviously there are some great meditation programs online. There's some great apps as well. You know, we've got some programs in our app and to the portal where people can learn some simple meditation techniques that are going to definitely get them started. Um, so you know that's another way that is, I guess, a stepping stone to then going that next level when you eventually are ready to go to that next level.
0: I love it. Now, you mentioned that in your 20, 20, 20, 20 process that you like to do of a, a morning, that part of that is the 20 minutes of meditation. Have you got an ideal amount of meditation that you love to do through the day? Speak to different people and they talk about meditating for hours in a
1: day. What's your sweet
0: spot? ideal and then sweet spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It depends on the technique. So the technique that I practice transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation is recommended for optimal experience to be two sessions a day for 20 minutes. And that's generally what I've done for gosh, 25 years now. So I'll do one in the morning uh, and then I'll do one in the afternoon or early evening, sometimes sort of between two and seven o'clock. If I have a nap, I'll do one around sort of six or seven before dinner. If I don't have a nap, I'll probably do one around three just to give me a a battery recharge. And that could be just pulling over in my car in a quiet street and meditating in my car or it could be at home on the sofa.
0: Nice. I like that a lot because that's very doable. I think some uh, from experience and conversation that I've had when people are talking about oh they've meditated for three hours a day, is a lot of people go when do I the hell do I have time for three yeah. hours a
1: day? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's
0: that's a different sort of utopia. Sometimes I get accused of not being busy enough by certain friends that have uh, I'm going to put inverted commas normal jobs and they're like you've got more time on your hands than anyone. And I'm like well that's because it's by design, but I still don't have three hours a day to be no. meditating. No. Um, how long did it take you to get to a point where your life was in this design now where you are able to plan your day the way that you do and your week the way you do in all the different
1: threes? Let me think. I'm 52 now. So I'd say 51 years in about 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say it's a work in progress? Yeah, definitely. You know, like the last two years were, were really to be honest with you and really transparent, I'm mean, not that I'm not honest with you. Um, such a funny Phew. phrase, that one. Um, Thanks for being honest, Tom. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be honest just now. Yeah, <laughs> cool. will we not um, worry about the first twenty odd minutes of. The interview. Yeah, it's all lies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, you know, the last few years are brutal. They were really tough. You know, making a film, writing a book, creating an app, creating an online program. You know, it it was beautiful big projects and they're they're gorgeous and it's wonderful to see them out there in the world but um, you know the creation of them was not the sweet spot of where I wanted to be and they were incredibly time-consuming they were very much about lots of meetings lots of travel lots of logistics lots of headspace Um, whereas now I'm only just starting to really find my sweet spot of doing a lot of one-on-one coaching and a lot of people had said to me all along no you've got to scale you've got to scale don't do one-on-one coaching but you know, I've really started to have the courage and the confidence to listen to my heart's truth and to trust in that That's if I'm in that sweet spot, if I'm, my heart is open and singing, then I'll just attract and that's really what's starting to happen now. So I made a commitment in 2020 after spending, you know, seven years since I left finance, being in that space of creating digital platforms to convey a message to the world on a very scalable level, that's books, online programs, films, apps, to go back to the thing that I'm passionate about and love and that's being with people and being in that intimate space of transformation. So that's retreats, workshops and events and one-on-one coaching and group coaching. So um, that's been a big realignment for me. So um, one thing I'd suggest for anyone out there who are in this space, you know, just to really listen in to the very inner voice that's guiding you because there's going to be a lot of noise, a lot of mentoring, a lot of coaching that's going to suggest other things that sound big and bold and and glamorous but they might not necessarily be what's true for you and so I think that was the big lesson for me is to get in and I look back and went, you know, I've worked so hard and it's great to create all those things but am I really doing what I love and that was a big lesson for me.
0: It's huge and and I love that in terms of really listening to what sits for you because it's easy for people to look at, at what everyone else is doing and comparing and going I've got to go down that path when if it's not sitting right for you um, it's really likely not to be right for you. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the movie because that was obviously a massive project that you undertook and, and the book as well. What inspired it? Um, I was lucky enough to be at the Sydney screening uh, when you and Jackie were there doing the Q&A and it was, it's such a beautiful, beautiful movie. What inspired it? Why, why go through all that pain and, and busyness and meetings and being outside of your sweet spot? What was the purpose behind it, Tom, and, and what do you love about it now?
1: Yeah, such a good question. Uh, You know, it was inspired with a very strong vision. I just, I couldn't understand that meditation wasn't a global phenomenon. I couldn't understand that everyone got up in the morning and everyone brushed their teeth. I couldn't understand why everyone didn't brush their teeth and meditate because it was just like so obvious that it made our life better. And it had been around for 5,000 years making people's lives better. And so I really felt a strong passion to bring this out to the world and showcase the power of meditation in helping us transform because that's what it did in my life and it was on the back of the secret and the secret had done this incredible thing it had taken a very esoteric concept the law of attraction if you think and feel something you'll attract it it's like whoa and they managed to bring that to the households of the world you know get it on oprah and have a film and book that literally you know had managed to get into the fabric of society and so that really inspired me to do something like that with meditation and the Secret was one of the first of the films in that sort of genre of personal development and we hadn't really seen many films before that. And so on the back of that, it was around 2012, we got inspired to create the film and to showcase through personal story, the, um, the power of meditation to transform us. So that was the starting point. Um, what I underestimated was, you know, what was involved in that process and um, you know, getting investors on board and... Um, the logistics of creating a film and a business model and a book and all the other ancillary products that would come with that, Um, you know, it was a huge undertaking and one that um, really underestimated the time that was going to be involved. We thought we'd be done in two years and it would be out and we'd all be making lots of money and we'd be changing lots of people's lives, but uh, I didn't realise it was going to take seven years. (laughs) Uh, Would you do it again? Uh, Certainly not in that capacity. (laughs) Uh, I think um, the film industry uh, really doesn't, the, the model at the moment doesn't support independent film producers mm. in any way, shape or form. You know, most people I know and I've collaborated and worked with a lot of filmmakers now who have put films out there. I mean, a lot of people say, why don't you sell it to Netflix? You know, Netflix will pay fifty dollars to $100,000 for a documentary. So um, if you've got a budget that's, you know, in the seven figures, then you're obviously going to be well and truly short on recouping. So it's really, really difficult. Um, on a business sense for filmmakers these days um, to to recoup because of the way we've got, you know, since 2012, the whole film industry and the, um, I guess, accessibility to films and the way it's been structured has changed so dramatically with things like Apple TV and Amazon and Netflix. So, it's um, yeah, it's a very difficult path to take, I think, for independent filmmakers.
0: Fair enough. That makes a lot of sense. I wanted to bring you back um, actually around The Secret, uh, and the movie and and a correlation between that and, and the portal in the sense of a lot of people got confused with the secret that all they needed to do was read the book and magically Ferraris would arrive in their driveway because I kind of missed the action step potentially. For mine. Are you waiting for yours? I am too yeah. I'd like <laughs> it in red would be ideal. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <of> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that there's a, is there a, a similar correlation, if you like, between meditation and that perhaps do you feel like people still need to remember to take their action steps in life as well, that meditation alone is not going to actually uh, design the life that they dream? That's probably the question that I'm
1: trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a beautiful phrase in Sanskrit, Yad Bavam, sorry, uh, Yogasta Kuru Kamani. And kamani means established in being, we perform action. Mm. And when they say being, what it means is de-excite, go to the calm, find the inner stillness, become presence itself, become being itself. And from that space of truth, from quiet, from invincibility, from needlessness, then perform action. You know, most people's action is motivated from a space of lack mm. to acquire some state of fulfilment. And that's what is the driving compulsion for most action. Of course, once we have that action, we get the fulfillment from whatever was derived from that action, we end up having a lack again because the fulfillment was unsustainable. It passes very quickly. If I get new clothes, if I get a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend, if I get married, if I have kids, if I get my mortgage, if I get my house, it passes very quickly. We need more things, more experiences to get more fulfilled fulfillment. So, yes, meditation is the portal, the gateway to a Experiencing an internal fulfillment, a state of inner bliss. But from there, there still requires action. Otherwise, you're just going to be sitting in a monastery all day meditating. And 99.9% of the world's population aren't made for sitting in meditation in a monastery. Some people are, and that's why they choose to do it. Most people aren't. And so from there, we need to still go about doing things. You know, we need to, um, you know, for me, my, my meditation is part of my practice, just as jogging is, gym is, yoga is and my family and my colleagues and my friends and my students and my clients. So it's all part of manifesting from that space and that's an important phase in the process.
0: I love that. I love that a lot because I think, uh, and again, is conversations I've had with people is that they they get, oh, what's the right word, almost this block that they don't want to start it because they think that that's going to take away from their daily life when what it really is doing is, is adding uh, beautiful beautiful practices to your life that enrich it versus actually taking time away which I think is which is really really important what's the one of the favorite parts of your movie like is there a particular part that you go god I love that particular section or is that maybe
1: exactly. no there is definitely bits that I am less attracted to and bits <laughs> that I'm more attracted to um look I really love the scene just prior to the meditation where the uh the six stories all start sort of Converging. It's actually a couple of scenes prior to that. Now I love the Buddha's rap scene. Mm, talks about his mom and, um, but leading into that sort of section of the film is really a beautiful time. We've come out of Ronnie. We call it the Ronnie scene, the Ronnie reveal, where we reveal him, and um, it just goes into a really beautiful softening of the film. It goes into a very feminine sort of softening phase, and then we of course arrive into this quietness of meditation, which is a world's first to have in a film, this beautiful meditative experience for the audience. And um, yeah, there's something really joyful and light about the energy in the room when that's happening. I really like it.
0: Oh, that's really cool. And Tom, what's the best way for people to be able to see the movie? So we're touching on a, a few different components of it at the moment. People might be wondering how the heck do they actually get to see it?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, it's it's been in a sort of a slow release strategy. Uh, we, we first did self-distribution, which is when you saw it, and we put that on ourselves in the cinemas and contacted the cinemas and said, hey, we've got this film, you should put it on. They went, yeah, okay. Um, and then we just do a sort of straight deal with the cinema. And then we went into what's called hosted screenings where hosts, and people can still do this on our website, where they can say, hey, I want to put that film on myself in the cinema because we're no longer running it in the cinemas. Okay. Um, generally a film will only run in the cinemas for a few weeks, um, if that at all. But now what happens is a host says, hey, I want to put this in the cinema, we'll work on which cinema is close to you, we'll put it in the cinema and then we'll organise the ticketing for you. You just have to bring a community. So it's up to you to obviously bring that community or market it and make sure that the seats are filled, um, that you become the host. And then from that we're just going into now I think next week, which is called called licensing, but really what happens is a community can, um, rather than putting it in a cinema where they have to sell tickets, we put it on in a community like a yoga centre or a meditation centre or a library or a school or a university, um, anywhere where there's a community and they purchase the, the licence for that screening uh, and they don't have to sell tickets. They just sort of pay an upfront fee to be able to have the right to show the film in that locality. Um, so that's happening pretty much next week and anyone can register to purchase a licence and show it to their community. So it's still in that communal space. And then after that, we'll go into um, the digital release where people can rent it, gift it or buy it or download it off our website um, and possibly other websites like your iTunes or your Amazons. So that would happen probably in about a a couple of months. We're just working on the the technicalities and the, um, the, the, the digital capacity to be able to do all of that on our website
0: beautiful well what uh in summary aligned you listeners uh, there are lots of different ways that you can get a hold of this uh beautiful movie and and it's going to become even easier within the next couple of months which is super super exciting tom before we finish off today's interview i like to finish with a top five and i actually didn't pre-warn you about this so um, mm-hmm. if it takes you a moment to uh, come up with your answers that's okay but i like to finish with the top five so people can get to know you a little bit more and uh and what floats your boat through the week uh music wise what's on high rotation at the moment up out in your car or in your earphones.
1: Oh gosh, I love and always have loved Sigur Rós and Johnsy, So he definitely gets a kind of a high ranking. There's a couple of other Swedish bands and Danish bands. For Altered it is really beautiful. Are they, like, and, are
0: they are they nice and I'm not familiar with them. That, I'm I'm picturing hardcore uh
1: Scandinavian hard rock at the moment I'm guessing that's not no, what it is. it's very <laughs> ambient and beautiful and atmospheric and watching sunsets and seagulls fly across the sky sort of type of music nice. I'm, I'm glad I asked because what was in my head was very different then <laughs> yeah definitely not definitely not um, <laughs> um
0: book wise yeah. is there what are you reading at the moment or are there multiple books on the go whether audio or paperback
1: I am reading a great book at the moment by Joda Spencer called Supernatural, which is a phenomenal book about our um inner capacity to manifest in our life.
0: I like that. It's actually sitting next to my bed at the moment too. Um, what have you done this week to, to, and I think we've kind of got the answer, but is there is there something particular that you focused on this week to make sure you stayed aligned?
1: Yeah, meditating, reading, um, and doing my journaling all helps me to stay in line, and I have a coach as well, so
0: beautiful and um have you got a favorite quote
1: i think i said before yoga start which is established in being we perform action
0: i love that that's um that's really cool and a final thought from you tom before we finish off for
1: today yeah look you know we're experiencing a very turbulent time 2020 started off with a lot of chaos a lot of fear a lot of challenges and trials and tribulations and so the one thing that we can do with challenge or crisis is to not get swept along by the emotional reaction to all of that because what that does is it obviously leaves us um, deteriorated mentally and emotionally. What we really want to do in these challenging times is to de-excite and to calm and in that space of calmness and non-reactivity, we have greater clarity, greater consciousness and greater creativity to help us find the solutions to move through that crisis. When we get into fear and chaos and mayhem and pandemonium, we have very limited capacity to be creative and solutions-oriented. So what we need now are people to calm down. We need people to be solutions-oriented, to look at what is a deeper meaning of deeper value in our lives, what's of higher importance rather than getting swept along by flying around in a tin can to look at some woman's, you know, a painting of a woman smiling in some art gallery or going to some exotic resort, looking at what is deeper value, you know, buying new clothes and things we don't need or is it community, is it being with nature, is it our personal health, is it our connection to self and spirit? These are the things that I think we want to start to extract some purpose and meaning out of the crisis that we're going through so it doesn't become wasted.
0: I love that. I love that. Tom, thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, I know the Aligned You listeners will have got a lot of gold out of that. So that's it for this week, Aligned You listeners. I'll catch you next week. Bye for now. And that's it for today's episode, Aligned You listeners. Remember to hit the five-star ratings and share today's episode with your friends. And be sure to join our collective on Facebook and Instagram at Aligned You. Look forward to catching you next time. The information shared on Aligned You podcast is of general nature and for information purposes only. It is not specific medical or personal advice. You should seek assistance from your healthcare practitioner for your individual circumstances. Any information provided doesn't imply endorsement or third-party devices or products and cannot provide you with health and medical advice.